This is Tennessee Talks with United States Congressman Tim Burchett. Hello, I'm Congressman Tim Burchett. I welcome everybody back to a very special Tennessee Talks. Joining me today is my friend uh, for today's show is Louis Elizondo. I get your name right, Louis. You know, Congressman, I've been called everything in the book. I've been called El Dorado, El Camino, uh, you name it. So uh, Louis, Lou, Louis, uh, I'm not sensitive. I've been married now 30 years. I got two wonderful daughters and uh, I've been certainly called. Great. All right. Well, Lou El Camino would have to be my favorite. I'll just call you Lou. All right. (laughs) Yes, sir. And we're here to talk about the a uh, little bit about the unidentified aerial phenomena and the recent hearings about them uh, in Congress. And Ludon, thank you again for coming talking to us on this issue, issue of Tennessee Talks. It's great to have you. Um, can you talk a little bit about your background dealing with UAPs or UFOs and uh, what really got you interested in them? Yeah, sure. Actually, never. Ironically enough, Congressman, I never had an interest in them. Um, my background was counterintelligence. I was a special agent in counterintelligence. So my focus was primor- primarily counterterrorism, counterespionage, counterinsurgency operations, to some degree, counter-narcotics. And I never really had a, an interest necessarily in science fiction or anything like that. And it wasn't until 2000 and the government actually asked me uh, to come in and work the UFO um, topic. Um, I guess because of my background in counterintelligence and security, they were looking for somebody who could come in and establish a, a, a protective program for the effort. Um, at the time that they were talking to me, I had no idea uh, that this small program uh, was was even focused on UFOs. Um, it wasn't for probably about a month into the conversations with several individuals that, it, that I realized all of a sudden that we were we were talking about UFOs and that the U.S. government had its own program. So I don't know if that answers your question, sir, but I, I never really had an interest in UFOs. So to me, I, I just basically applied the same skill sets I did from hunting terrorists and spies to, to hunting UFOs. It just seems to me that if something occupies our airspace and we have the best pilots in the world, some of our Navy pilots on the, the so-called Tic Tac um, video, you know, it's I was talking about the other day and some young person said, oh, look at this boomer. It's called, a, it's a TikTok video. I said, no, in fact, it's TikTok. It's, they're shaped like the little candy. And that's why it's called a TikTok. And I am a boomer, I guess, as my daughter has told me before. But, but I'm okay with that. But, um, you know, and I, and I worry about something that occupies our airspace. And I'm wondering, and, and, that, and I'm, I question why all the members of Congress are not concerned about that especially when we have these trained pilots. I'm wondering why should Americans care about the UAPs or UFOs? Sure. Well, Congressman, you're absolutely right. I, I think uh, certainly a lot of your colleagues whom I've spoken with share your concern. And I think those of us in the national security apparatus also agree uh, it's important. And the question is why? Well, when you have some sort of, let's call it an airplane or an aircraft or a vehicle, uh, having the ability to come unimpeded within controlled U.S. airspace, Problem. Look, at a nation's capital, we have a no-fly zone. And if someone were to break that no-fly zone, the first thing we do is scramble a couple F-16s. 
And I think there's good reason for that. And so let me, if I may share with you and your audience a very quick analogy. Uh, I think a lot of your constituents probably live in very nice areas, but I also suspect that a lot of your constituents like I do, before you go to bed at night, you, you probably lock the front door. Um, of course, we don't expect anything bad to happen, but we just, out of, I think, an abundance of, of uh, security, uh, we go ahead and lock the front door. And, and some may even go the extra step of locking the windows, making sure they're locked and turning on the alarm before you go to bed. Let's say one morning you wake up um, to have a nice hot cup of coffee or, or, or tea and you walk downstairs and all of a sudden there are muddy boot prints in your living room that were not there the night before. Now, no one's been hurt, nothing's out of place, nothing's been taken, but despite you locking that front door and locking the windows the night before and turning on the alarm, there's now muddy boot prints in your, in your living room that weren't there the night before. The question is, is that a threat? And says, well, could want it to be, so we should probably figure out what it is. And very much to the same, same degree in this topic, we have something that can fly unimpeded and, and to some degree undetected within our controlled US airspace. We don't know what it is. We don't know how it works. We don't know where it's from. And we don't know what the intentions are. We can see some of the capabilities, but we have no idea the intentions. So therefore, one must assume or presume these things could be a potential threat if they wanted to be. So from a national security perspective, it's, it's really our job to figure out, is it a threat? Now, it's a little bit more complex uh, to, to when it comes to national security to figure out what is actually a threat because that calculus is really two parts. You have capabilities versus intent. And as we just mentioned, we've seen some of the capabilities, the ability to maneuver in our skies in ways that frankly we can't replicate, uh, high G-forces, instantaneous acceleration, hypersonic. Of these things, and therefore, we don't know if it's a threat. So we have to presume it, it could be. Furthermore, you have a, a substantiated track record of these things interfering with our nu key nuclear technologies and equities, whether it's nuclear power, nuclear propulsion, or nuclear weapon systems. Um, I think some of your constituents might be surprised to learn that even at Oak Ridge National Laboratory, there's been some UAP sightings historically in and around that area. Uh, we're not talking about little green men from Mars. What we're talking about is something that for decades now has had the ability to fly in our airspace and we don't know what it is. Let's just presume for a second, uh, which is it, it's very unlikely, but let's just presume for a second, this is some sort of adversarial technology. Let's just let's presume it's Russian or Chinese tech. Well, that means then for the last several decades, these countries have managed to develop some sort of game-changing of our very best intelligence efforts, um, we, we completely were blindsided. And I think if, if this turned out to be some sort of Russian or Chinese technology, which we're, we're, we're pretty sure it's not, uh, this would be the greatest intelligence failure our country has ever faced, eclipsing that of 9-11 by an order of magnitude. So I think you and your colleagues are, uh, are, have every right to be concerned about what this is. Uh, we are now well beyond the, the conversation of whether or not it's real. The Department of Defense just testified uh, that it is, it is real, um, that it is a national security uh, priority for, for our country, and we still don't know what it is. So I think, I think you, you, you have absolute reason to, to, to be justified in your, in your concern. Well, one thing I, I was concerned about, and I was disappointed, we didn't have any of those those military men that were in those airplanes testifying 
and that the um you know the video they showed i thought was a joke um they had a uh, uh adam schiff who i obviously don't agree with politically on anything we're actually cordial um and we share the same interests in some recycling and composting things but besides that uh, he, he said, what exactly am I looking at? And then and they could not stop the frame in a 30 second video. They couldn't. And so everybody was looking at the glare and I thought that can't be it. It's got to be something else. And I was so disgusted with the tic-tac videos. And I understand some of them say that there, there might be a question of whether they've been been cleared. But they've been on 60 minutes, for goodness sake. Um, you can Google it. And um and it just really disgusted me. I just shook my head the whole time. And I, and it was literally a pilot inside of a canopy filming something with his, his cell phone as it, you know, as it flew by or he flew by it. And, you know, and there's so much more definitive stuff out there that people could have seen and that, that could have uh, focused more on the issue and that to me. But again, I state, I think the reason they do this the way they do this and they, whoever they are, but it's it's such a um, it's so classified and it and it's so contained that they're just talking within their scope of knowledge. If you remember one of the questions that was asked, one well, a Republican member who's a Marine captain actually, and he asked about a specific incident, and the guy was saying, "I have no data about that." You know, that's a intelligence cop out way to answer, but the reality is, you know, these guys are are so limited in their scope of knowledge and that's my biggest fear when they put some czar over this it's going to be some astrophysicist or something who has very little knowledge of ufos or uaps just what he hears and he's going to come out with a report saying in fact this is something we don't understand and then then we'll move on to the next train wreck you know in the news and so i'm afraid that's that that is the ultimate plan but but in, in saying that though I would love to hear some testimony from some of these pilots and I don't sure. know how you offer them immunity or what, but as I said, now they said, well, it's out there now. They're not, um, you know, they're, they're allowed to come forward, but the reality is, you know, the reality and I know the reality, there's a stigma attached to that. And the only reason, the only reason we're talking about this is because of those dead gum Tic Tac videos that are out there that actually, show the interaction of an American pilot saying, what in the world is this? And the video of it, the audio of the pilot, the video of whatever these craft are, def defying every rule of physics that we have. And so, um, you know, and I've talked to several that have been involved in those situations or been in the air when others, and, and they're reputable people, but they are afraid to come forward. And I'm wondering, what do you think that we could do to um, to make it easier for them and and for airlines? We've got a lot of airline folks that report it, and then you listen to the the people back on the ground as they're reporting it, and they're they're already making fun of them. It's almost like a, a standard thing. Oh, did you see the little green man? Oh, ET, you know. And so they're just basically humiliated. And there's a documented case of one of them, one of our best fighter pilots. He reported something when he came back. You know, there's guys on the deck, ET phone home and stuff, he signs, you know. And so I, I wonder, do you think there's some way we could make it easier for our military troops to report these encounters? Congressman, that, that's a very insightful question you're asking on what we can do. And, you know, I, I, 
I go back to your to your suggestion here about offering some sort of amnesty where perhaps we can waive the non-disclosure agreements that a lot of our pilots to include people like me that are bound by, where we are not allowed to talk about our experiences or certain aspects of classification of security. Some could argue it's it's the those non-disclosure agreements that are hindering us from further understanding what these things are. Um, I think you're absolutely correct. And I think Congress is very wise to start looking at this from the perspective, okay, how do we allow people who may have been involved in legacy efforts involving the UAP topic to come out and, and finally talk to members of Congress and, and even talk to this new organization at the uh, at the at the DOD level now, the AOIMSIG office, that's a mouthful, uh, in order to uh, to have this discussion. You know, one thing I was very disappointed in in the hearings, and I think you're absolutely correct also, um, you know, there was moments where even the Department of Defense did not know its own information. I remember when I, I believe it was Congressman Gallagher who asked for the record, are you aware of uh, the Maelstrom incidents here in Montana? And the after response, DOD finally said, well, we're only focused on, on official DOD reporting and investigations. What they don't realize is that it was official DOD reporting in an investigation. There's an actual DOD IIR intelligence information report that was subsequently released through the FOIA process about Maelstrom. That's the only reason why the world even knows about that incident of these UAPs interacting and interfering with our nuclear missiles was because there was a DOD investigation and an official report that went out at the classified level and then wound its way up in the, in the, in the public, uh, public sphere. And so I, I, it was those type of responses that were very frustrating to me because it's clear that the Department of Defense really doesn't have a handle yet on the full scope of this. Uh, they don't even know where their own reporting lies. How are you possibly gonna be able to, to, to inform Congress of what these things are if you haven't even done enough homework internally to see you have in, in, in if you will, in, the, in your own closet. Um, so I think I think you're you're absolutely correct, and I think other members of Congress were, were equally frustrated. That's just one of many many examples that I I found very curious. And again, I think what can be done is perhaps this next year, if some sort of language could come out that absolves some of us uh, and the over restrictions of security classification. So we can finally have an open conversation. So the pilots can come out, the special operators, the radar operators, uh, those individuals who, who came up close and personal. People don't realize, Congressman, that, that this is happening every week. These, these incidents are occurring all the time. And the videos that were shown to, to, during the hearings to, to the House were ridiculous. Um, one of these had already been, been put out on the internet a year and a half ago, two years ago. I think what the American people want to see and what, what Congress expects is, is the new stuff, the, the, the high fidelity videos where we're seeing these things going from 200 knots to you know, 300 miles an hour, uh, where we see it on camera, right? And, and we can see it interacting with our aircraft. That's what Congress expects. And that's really what Congress should have received this last hearing. I think the good news here is that if I was a betting person, which I'm, I'm not a betting man, but if I was, uh, I suspect there'll probably be more hearings um, in, in the future. With all, all this, do you think that that these things are a threat to us? I stated on the on the British 
thing. I said, we'd all be a bunch, if they wanted to get us, we'd all be a bunch of crisps by now, which is a potato chip. I mean, but in, in England, I was throwing a little local lingo out there to them and they were, they were not, they were impressed as you can imagine with my Southern accent saying that, but um, you know, do you think they're, they are a threat? I, and my point was, you know, we've been dealing with these for, you know, decades or hundreds of years, actually. I mean, if you go back to the dark ages, there's actually paintings and there's UFOs in the background, hieroglyphics. I mean, first chapter of Ezekiel, which I quote all the time. And so um, I, I, my point is with their technology, if it's something from out of this world, I would think they had already done us in if they wanted to. I just don't see it as a, I, I think we need to know because it's in our airspace. And we need to rule out the fact that it's anybody else on this globe that has it. But, and if it was, I've stated that, they would control us. They would own us if they could control yes, it and do it. So what do you think, Luke? Yeah, I think that's a really fair point. Um, sir, from my perspective, I think the biggest threat is ignorance. Um, that is the biggest threat. Um, there's a, a di distinct difference between a, a, a potential national security threat and hostile intent. What what do I mean by that? Um, when I go to the airport and I jump on a uh, my way to Washington, D.C. or somewhere else, there's no real threat there. Uh, the aircraft isn't threatening me. And yet, if I were to go to that same aircraft but jump uh, out of the, the, the jetway and onto the tarmac and run behind the engine while the engine's on, then, yeah, there's probably going to be some sort of threat to me. I'm probably going to get burned. I'm going to lose my hearing. Uh, there's, there's biological consequences for that. But it doesn't necessarily mean that UAPs are a threat necessarily. The fact that we don't understand what they are, that for me is probably the biggest concern. And I think from a national security perspective, because we are responsible for understanding what is in our airspace. There's something called US air domain awareness. We have flight safety issues. Uh, certainly when I'm on a 737 or my family, um, I don't want there to be any chances of some sort of mid-air collision, obviously. So, so I think there's, when we talk about threats, we're really talking about maybe air safety threat. Um, so far, we have seen hostile intent. However, in this country, uh, we have the example where our, our nuclear arsenal, particularly uh, a flight of 10 nuclear missiles were brought offline by a UAP in Russia. Uh, the report is opposite. In fact, in Russia, it appears that a UAP actually turned them on. Um, so that's kind of a scary notion. But whether or not it's a direct threat to us or humanity, no, I, I don't think there's any information to substantiate that right now. Um, I think you're 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 correct in that assessment. Um, I think again, our, I would I would emphasize the greatest threat here is our ignorance, uh, and it's our inability yeah. to face the reality that these things are here, whatever they are and the, the inability to have the conversation amongst each other. Do you think, it, yes or no, do you think we're being, the, our federal government or military industrial complex, what have you, do you think they're being transparent with the people about the UAPs or UFOs? <laughs> um, probably as, as transparent as mud, uh, unfortunately. Um, the yeah. question is, is it deliberate or is it, uh, uh, just ineptitude. I, 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 neither one is really a good option for me. Um, certainly, the, the the national security apparatus I came from was was very efficient, very effective. Um, so I find it hard to believe that all of a sudden now the intelligence community, the Department of Defense, uh, 
has become completely ineffective um, in four years. So that tells me there's something else going on. Uh, I, I am very optimistic that um, as you and your your colleagues continue to peel back the onion, you're gonna you're gonna find some really interesting information here. I hope so. I hope so, Lou. Thank you. Um, I I get asked a lot of times what I think you know the phenomena is, and I. It's basically, and I say the same thing, it's not Russia, it's not China. We know that. I don't think so. Or they would, Putin's ego, you know, I've said many times, if it's Putin, he'd land one on the White House lawn, get out, ride a unicorn over and, and wrestle Biden and get back in it and head back to Mother Russia. If China was, I mean, their world quest for world conquest, they'd be conquesting. And, uh, and that leaves really two things. Is it us? Do we have some technology? And if so, where did we get it? You know, is it uh, reverse engineering to me is a is a very likely thing. I, I you wonder where they get the money for that, but we just sent 40 billion, well, 53 billion dollars to Ukraine. And I just in my distrust of the federal government, I can't imagine all 53 billion dollars getting over to where it, you know, buying bullets in Ukraine. I just don't I just can't I just can't buy that. Um, but I also, um, you know, how many people would it take to, to have a skunk works project? And yeah. if it is, or it is like, and I, I've heard Lazar say that it's some kind of deal that they've, they've in an archeological dig and they're reverse engineering. I don't know. Is it something, is it Roswell something, you know, it really doesn't matter. It, the fact that it, we, I just don't see the problem in acknowledging what we have. I, I, I don't buy the, the whole thing. It's going to upset the religious uh, network. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a born again Christian. You know, I, I believe it. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And I, but I also believe when I walk out at night and look at the vastness of God's universe, that, that light from that star that I'm seeing left before the time of Christ on this earth. I mean, that's how vast God's universe is. And yes, sir. It's just, it's, I can't get my, I sit out there at night. I just can't, I can't imagine, you know, and it's not heresy. I mean, heck, they, it was heresy back when people said the earth was flat. And then, you know, they said it was, the people came out with this idea that it was a globe. It was round. And they're like, what? That's, that's heresy. That's, that's awful. You know, you're, you're going to go to hell. But the reality is, is there's, it's just a vast, vast universe. And I, I, I fear a government that fears its people and I, and I am part of the government and I realize it, and, you know, and I'm going to face ridicule as you do, as I was going to tell you the other day, I was reading something about you and I said, I was going to call you and say, um, you know, when you're over the target, that's when they do the most shooting at you, brother. Yeah. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. Well, you know, I think you're absolutely right uh, in, in, in questioning your government. Uh, it was once famously said that the most patriotic thing you can do is to question your government. And I was a product of that myself. I was also in the government for many, many years. Uh, I agree with you completely as, as far as putting any type of dominion over, over God and, and, and the grand architect of, of our universe. I think um, to put limitations on, on, on the creation, I think is, is very short-sighted. Uh, if there's one thing that we, we keep learning over and over again is that God has a vote. <laughs> And every time we we think that we uh, you know we we can veto that uh, we're usually taught a very valuable lesson in life. Um, I I think that there's a lot of reasons why people may not want to have the conversation. Um, I agree with you. I don't think this is going to affect religion at all. Um, I I don't think there's any reason to. I think when 
as you said, when Galileo first proposed that the Earth was round, was round based upon the Copernican uh, observations, that uh, there were some people who were who were concerned. But at the end of the day, um, it, it it didn't affect religion at all. In fact, I don't think it's going to affect government, religion, or any type of, of institutions. Um, I think that is is part of what you know God's gift to us is is curiosity, and always trying to 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 learn. And, and figure things out. Um, to me, I don't, I don't see any conflict between, between Christianity or Judaism or Islam or any other with this topic. Um, I think it's really our own bias that we have to, to watch out for. Um, but I don't see any conflict with the Bible at all in, in this conversation. I think what you're doing is I mean, my personal belief is history is going to prove you right, uh, and and I don't think you're going to have to wait a whole long long time to to see that come to fruition. Uh, I will also tell you that there are a lot of people consider you a champion for this cause because you are willing to have the uncomfortable conversation about a topic that has been sequestered for a very long time. You mentioned something saying I don't think it's it's our our potentially our secret technology or Russian or Chinese. And I think if we, we look at this in the perspective of, of temporally from a time perspective, you're absolutely right. We have government documentation that was very classified that's now been released to the public going back to the 40s, 50s, and 60s, where we describe it today as a white flying tic-tac, but in the 50s, they described it as a white flying fruit launch, and in the 60s as a white flying butane tank. Exactly the same thing, flying at 13,000 miles an hour, captured on radar, uh, eyewitness testimony from pilots and, and, and law enforcement officers, trained observers, right? And if you look at that, where were we at the end of the 40s and early 50s? Well, we were just coming off the heels of World War II. We had just entered the jet engine era. We had barely broken the, the, the sound barrier and hadn't even been to space. Uh, and yet here are these things traveling at 13,000 miles an hour back then. Well, where was Russia? Russia was still moving ammunition with ox-drawn carts. And where was China? China was in the middle of a famine. So I, I think it's highly unlikely that this is some sort of foreign adversarial technology. And we've already said for the record in the hearing, by the way, under oath to, to you and your colleagues last week, that this isn't our technology. This is not a blue force technology, which means it's not our technology and it's not our friends and allies technology. That was stated for the record last week. Uh, who do you think, who would you like to see testify? Now, I'd like to see you up there, but I, because they're not going to trip you up and you'll say what you want to say, but uh, who would you like to see up there testifying? Well, I'd love to see my colleagues that were in ATIP. I'd love to see them testify. I'd love to see, uh, there's an individual who is my deputy in ATIP who then, I guess I can talk about it now because he's come out publicly the last couple of days. He was the first UAP task force commander uh, and he was my deputy. His name is Jay Stratton. Um, I think it'd be great to have him testify. I think some of the PhDs and scientists we had in ATIP come out and testify who were part of efforts earlier on. Uh, I think it'd be great to have, if we could, perhaps um, some of the folks of the task force and then ultimately some people that were involved in much older legacy efforts. So another interesting point during the hearing, they, the Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence, Moultrie, who was testifying, he admitted he knew about ATIP, about he admitted about Project Blue Book, 
but there's 50 years gap in between the two. What about all the programs and efforts that existed in between that time frame? And the response was rather unsettling. Well, we're not looking at anything. We're not looking at anything that wasn't you know, considered official or formal. Well, some would have argued Blue Book wasn't official and formal, and ATIP wasn't official and formal. What, what's your definition of official and formal? If you have if you have actual federal employees assigned to do a task and they're being paid money that Congress gives, I think that's pretty formal. I think that's pretty official. Right. So I, I would recommend anybody who is associated with that, uh, those legacy efforts to come up and testify uh, under oath to Congress and finally allow the, the, the truth to be known. That'd be my suggestion. Right. Well, I appreciate it. You got any questions? We always let people do this to me. I don't know why. I'm the host of this dadgum thing. I don't know why I let y'all take a shot at me, but you got any questions you want to ask me? Yeah, when are you going to run for Senate? We need you in Senate. Uh, we've got two senators that are pretty strong. I don't I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon unless one of them yeah. gets appointed or decides to go home and play with their kids or grandkids. I just don't think that's going to happen. But I, I'm enjoying my role right now, brother. I really well, I sure I appreciate it. I sure hope though that if uh, if that comes time that one of your centers decides to spend time with the grandkids, boy, I, I sure hope you you consider picking up that baton because we, we need folks like you. Thank you, brother. I really appreciate you, Lou. It's been a great great pleasure having you on here. It's always you're my friend, and and I I love look forward to every time we get to talk and see each other, brother. So thank you, and I appreciate you for coming on the show. Talk about the unidentified aerial phenomena. I still want to say UFOs, but I know some bureaucrat probably got paid big money to change that name. So I'll just keep, I'll let them earn their check. And anyway, I'm Tim Burchett. And I want to thank y'all for joining me on this incredibly informative uh, episode of Tennessee Talks. Thank y'all. Honor and privilege, sir. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Tennessee Talks. Please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Keep up with Congressman Burchett by following at Rep Tim Burchett on Twitter and Instagram and at Congressman Tim Burchett on Facebook and YouTube.